0: Amen. So um, I am going to move on with our our series, which we started last week. If you were here, you'll you'll remember I told you that, um, you know, we don't traditionally have like an Advent kind of series or season. Uh, I grew up in churches where we didn't even really know what Advent was, yeah? But as I researched it over the last while, you'll see like this, uh, this Advent wreath behind us, and it has four candles around the outside, and what more liturgical churches tend to do is they preach on four different themes, four different things that changed forever. Ever because Jesus came into the world. Four things that existed before Jesus but their nature was like fundamentally changed because of them and they are peace, hope, joy and love. Peace, hope, joy and love. Those things were there before Jesus came around but when, when Jesus entered the world for us who follow him, the way that we engage with those, the way that we obtain those things, the way we interact with those concepts changed forever. Okay. Um, last week we looked at peace if you find yourself, you were here last week, and, or weren't here last week, missed the sermon, and you're struggling just to be at peace, at wholeness uh, in yourself, that you just feel constantly frustrated, or you feel constantly empty, or like something isn't really satisfying you, go back, listen to the podcast. And uh, I believe that within it is the simple message that proximity to Jesus equals peace, and that Jesus came close to us. At Christmas time, we remember that. Yeah, he came close to us at Advent. And if we draw close to him, we're promised a peace that passes understanding. Um, next week, uh, we're going to look at joy. It's been a great privilege this week to host uh, Tate Brown. Our pastor from Lesotho is over with us for two weeks with his wife Sadie and his kids Matteo and Cloakley. Um, they're in the city this morning, which is where Patrice and Penny are. They abandoned me to go hear him preach instead of me. And, um, but they'll be here next week. Or if you can get along to Clondalken this evening, you can hear him preach there as well. So he's going to be preaching next week on joy, um, the joy that we have because Jesus came into the world. And then Bernard in the following week is going to finish off the series with a, a topic on, uh, on love, the greatest of these is love. We saved the best for last. But my topic this morning um, is hope. Um, and uh, as we did last week, there's a little, uh, there's a little video that um, the Bible Project guys have done. As I introduce you to next year, we're going to read through the New Testament alongside with all these little videos that have been made by the Bible Project that help us engage with scripture. Um, but they've made one on the, the topic of hope, uh, which Malachi will play now, and it'll introduce what we're going to look at this So morning. let's say you want
1: to describe the feeling of anticipating a future that's better than the present. You might be giddy or excited or maybe unsure, but most of us know that experience. We call it hope. It's a state of anticipation, and it's crucial for healthy human existence and it's a really important concept in the Bible. In fact, there are many words for hope in the ancient languages of the Bible, and they're all fascinating. In the Old Testament, there are two main Hebrew words translated as hope. The first is yachal, which means simply to wait for. Like in the story of Noah and the Ark, as the floodwaters recede, Noah had to yachal for weeks. The other Hebrew word is kavah, which also means to wait. It's related to the Hebrew word kav, which means cord. When you pull a kav tight, you produce a state of tension until there's release. That's kavah, the feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. The prophet Isaiah depicts God as a farmer who plants vines and kavahs for good grapes. Or the prophet Micah talks about farmers who both kava and yachal for morning dew to give moisture to the land. So in biblical Hebrew, hope is about waiting or expectation. But waiting for what? In the period of Israel's prophets, as the nation was sinking into self-destruction, Isaiah said, at this moment, the Lord's hiding his face from Israel, so I will kavah for him. The only hope Isaiah had in those dark days was the hope for God himself. You find this same notion of hope all over the book of Psalms, where these words appear over 40 times. In almost every case, what people are waiting for is God. Like in Psalm 130, the poet cries out from a pit of despair, I kavah for the Lord. Let Israel yachal for the Lord, because he's loyal and will redeem Israel from its sins. Biblical hope is based on a person, which makes it different from optimism. Optimism is about choosing to see, in any situation, how circumstances could work out for the best. But biblical hope is not focused on circumstances. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there's no evidence things will get better but you choose hope anyway. Like the prophet Hosea, he lived in a dark time when Israel was being oppressed by foreign empires, and he chose hope when he said God could turn this valley of trouble into a door of hope, like the day when Israel came up from the land of Egypt. God had surprised his people with redemption back in the days of the Exodus, and he could do so again. So it's God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. You look forward by looking backward, trusting in nothing other than God's character. It's like the poet of Psalm 39 who says, and now, O Lord, what else can I kavah for? You are my Yachal. In the New Testament, the earliest followers of Jesus cultivated this similar habit of hope. They believed that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was God's surprising response to our slavery to evil and death. The empty tomb opened up a new door of hope, and they used the Greek word elpis to describe this anticipation. The apostle Peter said that Jesus' resurrection opened up a living hope that people can be reborn to become new and different kinds of humans So Christian hope is bold, waiting for humanity and the whole universe to be rescued from evil and death. And some would say it's crazy, and maybe it is. But biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward. And so we wait. That's what
0: the biblical words for hope are all about. Man, so hope is what we're going to look at, and what they finished by saying there in the video is that is that uh, the the hope that we see in the Bible is a lot different than uh, it's a lot different than the hope that we just have in the world. Yeah, we just. In the world, we, might, we use that language all the time. with like, I hope, you know, you send somebody a message you don't know, you haven't talked to in a while, you just say, I hope all things are good, yeah? But we don't believe that those words create any certainty that things are going to be good with them, yeah? We don't believe that that's, like, that's, that's going to be the fact just because we've said it. It's more like, like a wishful thinking, you know what I mean? I hope things work out for you. I hope next year is a better year than this year. It's just, it's just a wish. And in that way, we use, we use hope as a verb, we use hope as like something that, that we do. But in the Bible, hope is more like, like a noun. Hope is something that we have. It's something that we, we possess. We possess this certainty for the way that the world is going to work out because as we look back, we see what Jesus has begun to do in his resurrection, Yeah, in his life, death, and resurrection. So we're not just wishful thinking like we hope the world, we, 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 we kind of wish that the world would be a better place in the future. No, as Christians, hope changed with Jesus because of what Jesus did. That hope is a, a certain thing. We have a, With certainty, we know what's going to happen in the future. We know, because God has revealed it to us in His Word, it's inevitable, it's happening, that the world doesn't stay in a broken and messed up state, but Jesus returns, yeah? We know that when Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart, that, that Jesus comes back, Jesus rules on the earth, Jesus restores everything that's broken in the world. And, 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 and that, that makes a difference not just for the future, yeah? But the way that we, we see or understand the future, the hope that we have, affects our now in every single way that you can imagine. It affects how life is framed. It affects how you experience suffering and trials. It, expe- it affects what you do with your resources. It affects what you do with your day to day. It reflects the things you say. It affects the way that you think. What, what you believe about the future challenges and changes your, your now. Um, I'm going to speak from a part of scripture that they referenced in that video. Um, and it's written by Peter. It's in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. And uh, Peter wrote to this, uh, this group of Christians who are facing into like, some struggles, facing into a hard time, being persecuted because they were Christians. And so their faith is coming like, face-to-face with, with opposition. They're suffering because of their faith. And there's nothing that will keep you going when your faith comes into opposition, like when you suffer on part of your faith, unless you believe there's something better on the other side of it. Yeah, It's where, it's where this thing really hits the road. And so Peter, when he's addressing these guys, he, he speaks about the hope that you need to have. His point is, if you want to get through this suffering, if you want to get through this world, uh, you need to have Hope, and hope in the resurrection of Christ. Let's read it out together. And listen to this. This, this, These are the most important words I'll say this morning, because this is the word of the Lord. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again into a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfailing, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ Jesus. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And you rejoice with a joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So Peter's first port of call in writing to this group who are suffering is to remind them, as it says there, of their, of their living hope. And even the language of that, that is a phrase. That, that stands out to me as, as incredible, that, that we have a hope that's, uh, that's defined as living, yeah? Very often when people lose hope, have you ever heard the phrase saying, like, like my hope died? You know, hope is dead. But we have, a, we have a hope that's living and will live forever. Why? Because Peter points it, he connects the two. He says, you've been raised, We're born again into a living hope, see on the third line, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So your hope is living because Jesus was raised from the dead. What's he saying? As long as Jesus is alive, your hope is alive. As long as Jesus remains resurrected, hope remains living, hope can't die unless Jesus is to die. And guess what? Jesus is eternal, Jesus isn't going to die, which means that we have access to a hope that isn't based on temporal things, isn't based on earthly things, but we have a hope that endures forever. Like, how great is it to know as Christians that you have you have a hope that can never can never fail. It's like when Paul talks about him. he's like, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Why do do they remain? Because they're they're eternal things. They're things that don't don't die. They're things that will last forever because Jesus will live forever. Jesus defeated death and was raised again and hope was raised up with him. You're not without hope this morning. You can't be without hope this morning because hope never fails and hope in Jesus never dies because it's secured by him. And see, we need that kind of hope. If you... See, the world has a hope or a wishful thinking or it has like maybe an optimism based on the future or based on present circumstances for the future. Like if you're in, if you're in a good relationship and things are going well, like you probably have a hope of, you know, the future and kids and family and the good life. But what happens then when that relationship falls apart? Does your hope, does your hope die with it? Or maybe your hope is in a, a person and the person passes away. Does your, does your hope die with that person or your hope is in your job or your hope is in whatever? Any, any hope that's in temporal things where you live on an earth that's in a state of decay until Jesus comes and restores it. So if your hope is in any one of those things, inevitably it is going to let you down, right? It, it, it can't do anything but let you down. We need a source of hope that's eternal. As I, as I studied this uh, stuff this week, I kept coming across this, um, this guy uh, called uh, Viktor Frankl. I kept coming across people referencing him. And he wrote a best-selling book called uh, Man's Search for Meaning. sold over 10 million copies. Okay? And Viktor Frankl was a Jewish psychotherapist, psychologist, trained doctor, um, who was unfortunate enough to live in Austria in the 1940s. Okay? And as a Jewish man, the Nazis come through Austria, and Frankl found himself put into concentration camps and eventually put into Auschwitz concentration camp, which we all heard of yeah this week as I like researched and I was reading about it there was images there that were taken from the camps and just the horror of what was done to to humanity people like skin and bones and he describes a concentration camp like this he he describes that it's like it's a place where all of the things that ultimately will happen to you in life right here's what's going to happen in life your health will deteriorate yeah It'll go. Like you won't be able to depend on like when you were young and you're able to do stuff. Relate, people will die on you, yeah. Stuff relationships that happen will fall apart. Like you're, 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 the things that you, you thought you had, they'll decay. You'll lose stuff. But he says what happens is in a concentration camp is all of that stuff is like concentrated. All of that stuff is like compressed into a short period of time where anything that people could have had hope in—relationships, money, jobs, careers, a good future coming to them—all of that is taken away from you in an attempt to strip you of your humanity, to strip you of your hope. And, uh, and Frankl experienced that. He, he lost the majority of his family. He lost the things that, that made him who he was. He lost his dignity. He lost um, like everything, everything, his hope for for the future. But what he used to do in the camps, because he was a psychotherapist, he used to try and help people he used to try and, like, like people who were really struggling, he would sit with them and talk. And he noticed a few things that he turned then into this book. Um, and in particular, he noticed a few things about hope. He noticed that the people who died quickest were the people who had no hope. The people who had nothing to hope in were the people who, who passed away quickest, who succumbed to illness, or who, who just gave up on life. He noticed that more people died between Christmas and New Year's than at any other period. And what he put it down to was that people had this hope that maybe I'll be out by Christmas. Maybe I'll get to spend Christmas and New Year's back in my family or back in my town. Maybe this thing will be over. And then when it would roll around and it wouldn't happen, they would lose hope. And more people physically died during that period than at any other time. He tells the story of one man who believed that the war was going to end on March 30th, 1945. And he believed this because he'd had a dream. A friend of Frankel's in the concentration camp. He had a dream, and in the in the dream, it was like he could be granted one wish. And his wish was this: I want to know when when my suffering's going to end. I want to know when this war will be over. And the voice in the dream told him the war will be over on March 30th, 1945. Okay? So he lived with this hope, like the only hope he had. It came in the form of a dream. And March 30th, he's waiting for. March 29th rolls around, and there's no sign of the war ending. Um, or, if the camp being liberated, and he falls ill, and the next day March thirtieth, when the war didn 't end, and he wasn 't liberated, he dies, he passes away it 's like with the extinguishing of hope there 's the extinguishing of that of that man 's life that he just goes and Frankel made the connection between this man 's hope and his life that when he lost hope, he lost his life, and he said this he says there 's nothing in the world that would so effectively help one to survive even the worst conditions as the knowledge that there is a meaning in one's life. There's nothing in the world that would so effectively help one to survive, even in the worst of conditions, concentration camp conditions, than that there is a meaning in, in one's life. His conclusion was that man needs a sense of meaning that doesn't come from the things that can be stripped away from you. People can take your dignity, people can take your money, they can take your health, they can take your freedom. But he noticed that the people who survived were people who were connected to a source of hope that was beyond them, a source of hope that was eternal, a source of hope that people couldn 't couldn 't take away and that made a very di- very difference to people 's now to people 's experience. He said those without hope were the first to degenerate into like into like animalistic kind of kind of uh, behaviors, like being mean towards other people or just trying to survive. He said there was even other groups of people who had optimism, which wasn't hope, right? But they had optimism, right? When the war's over, I'll get my job back and maybe I'll restore stuff. And he said he met up with some of those people who survived the concentration camps and he met them in the years after and their lives were in bits, in bits because the world didn't recognize what they'd went through, in bits because they weren't able to restore the loss of loved ones. They weren't able to restore the things that they'd lost. Their optimism wasn't enough. But the people who made it through were people who had a hope that was something different, something that was beyond, something that wasn't of this world. And that's exactly the hope. That Peter is alluding to. That's that's when he goes on to describe what it looks like. That's what he's saying. It's a hope that isn't based on on what you're facing into, but it's a hope that. Listen to how does he describe it. Look in verse four. We have this hope in verse three from the resurrection of Christ from the dead. But the hope is this: for an inheritance that's imperishable, right? So what's imperishable mean? Like you just said, a living hope. It can't it can't die. It's not something that can that can pass away. Next verse, it's undefiled, meaning that it's something that that it doesn't like change its nature. Yeah, it's. Undefiled is not something that, that the gospel would tell us. not something that our sin or our brokenness or our messed upness or our making mistakes day to day. It's not something that can change because of that. It's undefiled. It's protected. The next vine. So it, it's imperishable, undefiled. And then unfading. Meaning that it doesn't, it doesn't grow less day by day. Yeah, that it's, that it's eternal. That it lasts. And then if that's not good enough, right? It's imperishable, undefiled, unfading. And then where is it? It's kept in heaven for you. Like, like it's kept there, it's not here on the earth where it's subject to decay, it's kept in the heavenly realm, kept, like the word for kept means there, like, it's like under guard, it's secured, it's in a safe, it's like under God's protection that your hope can never be lost, it's imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading and it's kept by God for you, you can't lose it, you have a hope and, and what is that hope? It's something incredible. Like we might be used to just framing it as, you know, we get through a tough time here, and then our hope is that things will be better in heaven, yeah? But, but the Bible paints a different picture of what's going to happen. And, and there's an incredible thing that we can see in verse 7, right? Read verse 7 there. It says, um, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, though it perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ Jesus, okay? Praise and glory and honor. Now, when we use the words like praise and glory and honor, who are we usually talking about? Who are they directed towards? Towards God, yeah? That we give God the praise, we give God the glory, we give God the honor, right? But if you go and you look at all the commentaries, all the people who understand ancient Greek and know how the verbs connect to the nouns and all this sort of stuff, you'll see that in verse 7, this praise and glory and honor isn't directed towards God, which sounds almost blasphemous, right? But, But... If it's not directed towards God, who is it directed towards? It's it's that it's directed towards us. That he's saying on the day of Christ Jesus, when Jesus returns, when he's established his kingdom, that it results in praise and glory and honor being given to us. That there's a day that comes when we receive, if we persevere, we receive praise and glory and honor. Now that sounds too weird unless you unless you get the gospel unless you understand that that's exactly how the gospel works we know the first half of the gospel yeah hands up we know jesus died for your sins jesus took your sins upon himself on the cross he took the punishment that you deserve yeah so that so that what happens on the other side we get he he got our record now what happens on the other side through the resurrection we we get his record That's the the good news of the gospel. Not just that we're saved from from hell, not just that we're saved and forgiven our sins, but that that somehow this exchange happens where Jesus got what we deserve and instead we get get what he deserved. It's summed up in probably the greatest gospel verse in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Yeah, we get that. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you get the second half of that? In him we become the righteousness of God. That's the hope that we have. Not just an escape from the pain or the suffering or the struggling that's here. It's the hope that we get the inheritance that Jesus deserved as the only son of God. The ruler, the authority above all. Jesus shares his victory with us. Jesus shares his inheritance with us. The inheritance that it says we have isn't just an escape. The inheritance is a share in the ruling of the age that's to come. It's a share in the the new world. When it talks about the praise and glory and honor here, we get some of that praise and glory and honor. Why? Because he who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That God associates us with Jesus through his gospel and our hope is for not just escape and by the skin of our teeth, but our hope is for a glorious future full of praise and glory and honor. That's that's incredible. We get an eternity in an uncorrupted world, I get where a place where peace and love and hope are fulfilled in full. So that's what we that's what we hope towards. And remember that's not just what we wish for. When the Bible talks about hope, it's like that's what we move for towards with like a confident Assurance. This is the way that things happen. This is the this is the end. This is this is what happens when we get there. That 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 Jesus rules the world, and we get to rule the world with him. That's huge. I'm, I'm just aware when I say those words. Sometimes that's gigantic. Do you know what I mean? That's 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 massive. But that's the hope that we have. It's a hope that's gigantic. It's huge. And what it does is it dwarfs like our problems. It dwarfs temporary. Temporal things that seek to rob our peace—like we—it dwarfs it when we realise the scope of it, the size of it. Everything else just looks looks tiny in perspective, and that's the way it's meant to. We're meant to interact with it, because when we do, it enables us to face into to suffering in a new way. I I, um, I skipped some verses in the middle there. Um, I got down towards the praise and glory and the good bit, right? And I know before that, I was in the good bit of the imperishable, unfading, whatever, yeah? And then in the middle of it, there's, a, there's where the kind of trouble hits us, right? Where it says, verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, though it perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor on the day of Christ. It's like the Bible is telling us that, that you're going to face into some suffering. You're going to face some, some trials. You're going to be grieved for a while. The word grieved... That's used there is the same word where Jesus is in the, the Garden of Gethsemane and it says he was deeply troubled, he was grieved. It's sweat and drops of blood kind of grief. Yeah, it's that same, that same word, that same term that's used there. It's not saying there's like small amounts of problems you're going to face. It's saying like in this world you're going to face trouble. There's going to be grief. There's going to be suffering. But somehow, somehow there's rejoicing at the same time as suffering. Now, this is why... Hope and peace and joy and love were changed forever in Jesus because but the world's definition of those things to have peace or joy or hope, you need to not have any of the other stuff going on. Yeah? They're like mutually exclusive. You can either rejoice or you can be grieved. Yeah. Usually there's like there's like one or the other. I rejoice sometimes, I grieve other times. But but in this verse, Both of them are in the present tense, yeah? In this, you rejoice, which is now, you're rejoicing, present tense, even though you're being grieved by various trials. That rejoicing and grief going on at the same time. And what this isn't, let me tell you for the start, what this isn't is Peter saying, like, put on a brave face, right? You're facing some trials, but like, get over it. Just get through it. Not at all, because the words he uses for grief is like, tough. Can I tell you, it's okay as a Christian to grieve, It's not a lack of faith to grieve. I was listening to one preacher talk about it and he says like, uh, you know, we can have this attitude as Christians where it's like, Asher, just praise the Lord anyway. Like, but is that what Jesus said when he was grieved in the garden of Gethsemane when he's sweating drops of blood? Asher, just praise the Lord anyway. Oh, Jesus went through real, real grief, real suffering and you'll go through real grief and real suffering. But hope interacts with it in a crazy way. Hebrews tells us that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. That there was something on the other side that he knew that enabled him to go through what was going on in the middle. That Jesus was never without hope. Because he knew what was coming. And and he did all of that so that we could know what was coming. That we could rejoice even though we're grieved. We could have those things at the same time. As Christians, it's okay to feel pain, it's okay to feel let down. It's not a sin to feel that way. It's not a lack of faith. Jesus, who never sinned, felt that way, yeah? So it can't be a sin. So somehow as Christians, we're meant to feel real pain, but not without making our pain interact with the hope that we have because of what Jesus has done. And here's what happens. The two things help each other. Rather than being like only one can exist at any given time, the two things like work together. So when you're going through pain, struggles, even if it feels, like Peter uses the description, like even if it feels like you're going through a fire, even if it feels like it's, like it's burning, that you can't, you can't get through it, you need to know that you have something that can't be burned. And in the same way that a fire refines like gold, the picture is like you know, you heat up rocks or whatever and the gold melts and it comes out and what's good in there comes out. In the same way for the Christian, here's what happens because we have an eternal hope. Even your trials bring about your hope. I've ended up more hopeful through the worst times of my life than I have through the, the good times of my life. And anyone who's walked the Christian walk for a while will tell, you, will tell you the same thing. Because it refines your focus. It's like, where is my hope actually? When we lose things, when we lose people, when, when we're devastated. It forces us to look to something that's eternal. It draws us to it. And in that way, even, even pain brings us to a greater hope. And then the other way around, because we have a hope that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, it means that you can face into your pain with the confidence that you know this isn't the end of the story. It means you don't just have to do what the world does, like bury the pain, put on a brave face, medicate the pain, avoid it, do whatever. It means that we can we can face into it because we know how the story ends. We know that this isn't the end of the story. I've probably used this example a million times, right? But when I was, when I was a kid and I used to read like, stories like fiction books and you get to the middle part where it looks like the hero is going to die or something, right? Or the middle of a movie but it would be like the middle part and it's like, look what's going to happen and I would like flick to like the last page of the book and I would like just make sure like their name was mentioned there or they're saying something. Tried to read not enough to give it away but I would like look just so that I could be like okay it works out and then I'd read the rest of the book and that's what Jesus has done. He's given us the end of the story you're in the middle of the thing and you don't know what's going on. How am I going to get through this? Well, how can I live after facing this thing? What, how, like, there, there doesn't seem to be a hope immediately in front of me. But Jesus lets us flick to the back page of the book and see when Christ shall come with acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Let me see that. We, we live in an eternity with him. Let me see that. There's a promise not just for us individually to escape this world, but there's a promise for the world to be restored. That's what you get in the Word that's what, that's what you get as you spend time in it. You get, you get hope for the future. Not just wishful thinking, but a confidence, confident assurance that Jesus works all things out. And we get that by, by looking back. We look back to the middle of the story and we see when the world threw everything at Jesus, when it humiliated him and when it tortured him and when it took away his dignity and it crucified him and naked on a cross, made a public spectacle of him, murdered him. That God defeated all of those things, even death, and raised them again. And because of that, we have a living hope. Hope that can never die. Death is defeated. Shame is defeated. Guilt is defeated. Humiliation is defeated. All of the powers that the earth had, the world had to throw against them, are disarmed. And we get to live in the middle, knowing now. We get to live in the middle of the movie where we know at the end of the movie what happens, yeah? We get to live with confidence, assurance. We get through this. We live with that in, in the middle. And it changes the way we experience the now, like the second time you watch a movie, yeah, when you get to a movie and you know how it ends, it changes, the, the, in the middle, you still maybe emote with what's going on for the characters, but you know, at the end, Spider-Man isn't really dead, and he comes back from the grave, yeah, like, you, like that, 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 that it's all saved, and they have the big fight at the end, and Thanos is killed, or whatever, Avengers superhero movies, yeah, that's my thing, but if you when you're watching the middle of it, the bit that you would be left without hope, you know how it ends, that's what, that's what Jesus has done for us in the gospel. That's what he's done for us in his life and in his death. If you don't know that, I can't preach this message on hope and, and tell you you have all of this hope. If you don't know Jesus, that's the entry point into it. Like Jesus entered the world and changed all those things from the beginning. Uh, change, changed the way we get hope, changed the way we get joy, the way we get love, the way we get peace of mind. There's, a, there's an entry point for you into that story. That, that God would want to write you into that story he would want to make you part of the story that's what God says he does he unites us in Jesus he who became who knew no sin became sin so that in him we will become the righteousness of God it means that Jesus's story becomes your story meaning that if you're facing through times of struggle and times of despair you know that you have the assurance of resurrection yeah and how do we do that? We do that by being, becoming, identified with them. The Bible says we do it by a thing called faith, which is simply this: is like when we hear that good news, we receive it, and we say, "Jesus, I, I believe that." And that sounds like too ridiculously, like, like good news, too easy, yeah? Surely there has to be some cost. And there is a cost as our lives go on, yeah? We bear the cost of following Jesus in this world, that you may face some suffering, even, you know, sometimes when we paint this picture of coming to know Jesus, Jesus says, if anybody wants to follow me, let them consider what it's going to cost them, yeah? No one starts to build a house and then, like, and then gives up halfway through because they run out of stuff. It's like, consider what it's going to cost, and we, 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 we choose to follow Jesus, taking on whatever that takes on for us in the world. We pick up our cross and follow him. But if we identify with him in his suffering, we also get to identify with him in his resurrection. And the resurrection far surpasses anything. It's the best news you can imagine. It's the greatest honor to be associated with Jesus. And if that's, if that's you this morning, if you've never made that proclamation, if you've never made that decision, even if you've maybe never even heard the gospel presented in that way, or the gospel presented at all, that that Jesus died on the cross for your behalf, took what you deserve, so that now you get what he deserves, the glorious future, the inheritance that he deserves. Here's a simple way that you put your faith in him, is you just, you accept it, you speak it out. I'm going to pray a prayer, and you can pray it along with me, you can pray it out loud, you can pray it in your heart, but it just goes like this, Lord, I accept what you did for me, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me, thank you that you became my sin and you took the punishment that would have separated me from God for eternity. And I accept that, Lord, and I I, I thank you and I confess that you are Lord and I ask you to forgive my sin. And today, I, I, by faith, believing that your word has said this is possible, I step into you and I ask that you would unite your story with my story and bring me into a hope, into a living hope. Peter prayed there that we were born again into a living hope. It's such a change in life that it's like starting a new life, a life connected to God, and that's the life that I want. Take my hopes off the things of this world, and I put them onto you and you alone. Would you come and take up residence in my life? Would your story meet my story? Would your spirit come and dwell in me? Make me one with you, in a way that never ends, even into eternity. In Jesus' name, Amen. I want to pray over the rest of you who already know Jesus, but uh, but aren't living in that hope. You know, the world will just take your eyes off it. I'll just pray over you today that uh, that God would reveal Himself to you, that that God would show you the hope that you have today, that um. I pray, I pray now, Lord God, that uh, the scope of it would just become so apparent to us that the things that we thought were huge in front of us, we see them for what they are. They're they're tiny, they're they're incomparable, they don't even, they don't equate to you in any way. I pray that your spirit would reveal that into our hearts, this incredible hope that we have. Those of us who think that hope has died, Lord, could we know that the truth, this is your word, Lord, that our hope is imperishable, it's living. Those who think that uh, our hope is gone because we've messed up, because we've failed, because we've made mistakes, who think that, all right, now you're going to give up on us. Lord, that's not the truth of your gospel, and our release over them, that they have a hope that's undefiled. That's undefiled. Those of us who've gone through through life, and, and we had great expectations, and then maybe like we feel we're not firing on all cylinders, like our, our, our hope has faded. Oh, pray. Lord, there's there's truth in your word that says that our hope is unfading. It doesn't fade. It doesn't change. It doesn't get less. Those who think that they've lost it, Lord God, they've forfeited it, they've given up on it, Lord, I pray that they would know your word says that it's kept in heaven, it's secured, it's locked up. As long as Jesus sits on the throne, hope doesn't die. It doesn't go. I'll release that over your people there. This morning, Lord God, by the power of your spirit, Lord, would you make that real? Would you let us come into the um, experience of it today, Lord God, that we could know our living hope in Jesus' name? Amen. Um, Can I finish with that? I want to finish with one of those songs as a way to just reflect, because there's something I've said a lot of words, right? But there's something in just us expressing something, something in us speaking hope, with our mouths yeah with like speaking it out and uh singing it out is a good way to do sorry i'm looking for my plectrum um but if i grab the guitar and we just sing one of those one of those songs or two of those songs that we sang this morning as a way of ending and i would love you to do this not to detach not to start like conversations or whatever but but at some point this morning if you realised, man i need to step into that hope that this is your faith response to god in, in worship in, in confessing the words of these songs which are based on words of scripture that you step into into hope this morning.